Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Welcome to the FMIA Mini-Pod. It's the Super Bowl week edition. It's a bit of a somber mini-pod, a bit of a somber column uh, on this week before the Super Bowl, heading into Super Bowl week. Uh, Kobe Bryant, obviously, as everyone knows, uh, was killed along with eight others in a helicopter accident in California on Sunday morning, L.A. time, and... uh, you know, I never met Kobe Bryant. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't cover him. I'm not an NBA guy, but there's just something about this that really, really hit me. And uh, I was flying down to uh, the Super Bowl in Miami. I'm at my hotel in Miami Beach right now. It's about 11:30 at night on Sunday night. But I, I, uh, I just all of a sudden I I was working in my seat in the airplane on this Delta flight. And I basically, everybody just started looking around and you started hearing everybody whispering, talking, the guy sitting next to me said, did you see that Kobe Bryant died in a plane crash? And I thought, oh my God, there's, there's no way. Uh, but I started looking at the TVs and these seat backs and yeah, it was true. And uh, look, there are shocking deaths all the time. I think the thing that made this particularly Uh, horrible is that not only was it Kobe Bryant, but it was his daughter, 13-year-old daughter, who from all appearances had everything to live for, was just a bright, shiny, hopeful, optimistic, great kid. And then the other people who died in this this wreck, uh, families. Kobe Bryant obviously was a basketball coach now of his daughter in California. They were on their way to the game. Uh, just, I don't know, just a absolutely terrible thing. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what I, I just wrote a little bit about Kobe Bryant, and then I'm going to get into my regular column, and we'll start talking football in a second. But here's what I wrote about Bryant. Summer 2017, first day of the Chargers in Los Angeles, first day of training camp. Kobe Bryant came in to talk to the team about playing in Los Angeles. He talked for 45 minutes, the majority of time in Q&A form. One player asked Bryant, what's your favorite book? He said, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Hmm. That book is about a seagull, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, who wants more out of life than swooping down and fighting his fellows for food. Jonathan Livingston Seagull is a nonconformist who wants to perfect his flying technique and wants to branch out into other passions. It's not what the Chargers expected, but it was great. Bryant's point, the way to be great is not to be in the pack, but to strive to be better every day of your life. It's cool you're in the NFL, but now what are you going to do? How great can you become? 
Chargers VP of Communications, Josh Ruprecht, told me, I think half the team went out and bought Jonathan Livingston Seagull that day. After something so senseless as Bryant and eight others dying in a helicopter crash Sunday near L.A., I prefer to remember how great Bryant the player was and how great Bryant the father and person was becoming. He was trying to be Jonathan Livingston Seagull in his next life. So let's take that from the life and times of Kobe Bryant. Now let's get on to football. Um, So the other day I was in Kansas City and I rode to work with Andy Reid. Uh, as everyone knows by now, it's been pounded into everyone's head. Andy Reid is the sixth winningest coach in NFL history. The five coaches above him on the list have a total of 26 NFL championships. Andy Reid, number six on that list, has zero. Time's a-wasting. He's 61 years old, and uh, who knows how many more chances he will have. So we talked about that. We talked about a lot of things. Um, But before we get into it, I recorded the conversation and I wanted to play you a chunk of this conversation. And when I talked to him about the pursuit of Patrick Mahomes. I know this is sort of a, this is your life thing, but I want to skip to the Patrick Mahomes trade. Because the one thing that always I always thought about Mahomes and that deal is that and and I'll you had a B or B plus quarterback, okay? And you there were all these opinions that were all over the board about Mahomes. And so take me into your thought process to sacrifice so much to go get this guy who probably two-thirds of the league thought, I don't know about this guy. He might be really good, but we have questions because of the offense he ran in college. Give me your thought process and what that says about you as a coach. Yeah, well, you know, I've got to give credit to Brett Veach for finding him um, and believing in him. And then Brett uh, brought me all the tape, and um, made me watch it, you know, so um, over and over again. So Which, during the season or after the season? Uh, it started during the season, so that's yeah. why I say it. After the season, I don't mind watching it, but during the season, I'm, I'm pretty busy. But he just says, you got to see this kid. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible what he's doing. So I put it on, and I'm going, okay, well, this, this kind of can work in our offense, and this can work in our offense, and, and, this, and so – Pretty soon after I we got to the offseason, I had a chance to really look at him. I went, well, yeah, no, I mean, he could really be special. And then I would ask him questions like, what's this guy like? How is he with his teammates? What, are the, what do the old linemen say about him? What does the head coach say about him? You know, and, and so um, all of those things came back positive. And, and then Brett would go and he'd go our – two hours before the game and watch him through all of his warm-ups just to see how he interacted with the different people. And he goes, he didn't care if it was a grounds guy to the fans to his teammates. I mean, he was all in. 
and uh, he, he wasn't a guy that goofed around and did all that. He was, but yet he wasn't uptight. He just kind of knew how to handle himself. All of that part's been true, and uh, it's been he, Brett was right on on all that. But what about the decision you had to make at that time? Because you have a quarterback who you like, yeah. and you have a quarterback who you're winning with. Yeah, yeah. So, and I listen. I love Alex Smith, uh, I'm, and uh, not because he's just a great football player, but um, you know, great person, uh, highly, highly intelligent, uh, one of the best I'd ever been around. I, I mean, I, I wish I would have had him when he was younger in this offense, and uh, he would have been spectacular. Um, even more so than what he was. I mean, you think, go back and look at what he did here when he, you know, for those few years. So, um, I, we were bringing Pat Mahomes in. We were drafting him to sit for a year or two, potentially, to learn from Alex and, and, our, and these coaches that, that we've got. And uh, Matt Nagy being one of them. And, and so... Uh, to have that opportunity to get in that room that we felt was one of the better ones in the National Football League. Didn't ask Alex to teach him, but Alex opened it up to do that. He, he let him follow him everywhere, whether it was, uh, you know, talking to him about how he took his notes in the, cl- in the classroom to, um, to, to uh, how he trained, to what he did when he went home to study, to you know, all everything, every little thing that goes into being a great quarterback in the NFL. The whole time, uh, Alex knowing that this kid had talent just by watching him in practice, didn't flinch. I mean, Alex had his best year with this kid on his tail, in theory. Yeah, you know. So, um, that, and, was it a t- was it a tough thing that? time you had to tell Alex we're taking this guy yeah it wasn't easy I could have kept him here forever I mean yeah. it was one of those and when he was done playing I still wanted to keep him here <laughs> you know if, if he could coach one of those but he knew I mean he was he read the writing on the wall in particular after the kid did what he did in that Denver game uh, you know Alex is no dummy he's been around a long time yeah here we take a quarterback number one now I I told him I said you're gonna be you're the starter, and so you know, don't look back. Just go, and have the greatest year of your life, man. I mean, you know, and um, and he did that. I mean, he he went all out. Your decision to do this struck me that we can get to this plateau, and we may even win a Super Bowl. But you obviously felt more confident in Mahomes to do that. But there's absolutely, totally no sure thing about that. Did you feel at that time, giving up what you gave up, how much of a risk you were taking? Yeah, so this is weird because, and people I'm sure don't, they don't believe this, but um, I had Matt Nagy and Brad Childers get ready for the playoff game. And um, I got Myself and Mike Kafka. Before the draft? This was no, this is after the draft. Oh, okay. So this is when this was to make this decision, you know, between Alex and um you know, Pat without knowing that's where this was going. Yeah. So um so they're getting ready for the playoff game. 
I'm getting ready along with Mike Kafka to get Patrick ready to start against Denver, who's going to play all their guys, their primary guys. Yeah. And I know how competitive those guys are. I had them in the Pro Bowl, and those guys love to play. That defense loves to play. So I knew putting this quarterback out there, they were going to, they were coming after him. They yeah. were going to, you know, they they weren't going to hold back. And um, and so just my interaction with him during the week, I, I went, okay, this guy is really, really good. You know, I mean, really good. And we do these Friday. Friday night um, meetings and uh, or Friday afternoon meetings and uh, he and I go one on one and I came out of that meeting just going we're going we're gonna to get after Denver now I mean I, there was just this confidence that he gave you that we're, we're going to go in and school him so I went down to Brad and Matt Nagy and, and I, I said you know what we're going to kick their tail now I, I'm just telling you and they go what's that all about and yeah. I, I go I just met with this kid. We went over every play, and we're winning the game. Yeah. And they, they kind of looked at me cross-eyed a little bit, and, and uh, then we went in there and kicked their tail, you know. So, um, and he played well. And I'm sure Alex, deep down, went, whoa. Right. I mean, there were a couple of those throws that were just we saw in practice. You weren't sure you'd do in a game, but he did them. And I'm sure there was a whoa time there for everybody. Uh, I, I really wonder, watching the game the other day, what Alex Smith was, must have thought when Mahomes makes the run down the sidelines. And, you know, the good thing about Alex Smith is that he's not, that he understands that it's all about what are we going to do to help this team win and all that stuff. And he has to watch Patrick Mahomes and say, this guy is incredibly special. Oh, no, he watched the game. He He, he goes... He, he said it. He said it. Um, he texted me. So he goes, phenomenal win, and the kid was unbelievable. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he's his biggest fan. That's well, what's weird about yeah. it. And the, and and Patrick's his biggest fan. When he went to Washington, we watched every game. We, we went through every game. Pat had every play memorized. Wow. Yeah, it was like his big brother was playing. Wow. I mean, it was ridiculous. Okay, but I want to ask you just one thing about the decision you have to make. Like, that's a big, big decision, okay? And I want you to tell me, if you can, did it hit you? This is a momentous decision for the history of this franchise. I got to be right. So tell me what goes through your mind in making big decisions like that. Yeah, so do whatever you have to do. Now, Doris was here at that time, so... um it, it was a do whatever you have to do to get the guy and everybody was on board um and Veach was kind of driving the you know driving the force <laughs> if you know him he can wear you out when he gets on a player so um but um it got it, it got handled we were all sitting in the room and um you know Doris was maneuvering to find a way to get up and and get him, and he and Brett were talking, and and uh, Clark were talking through it, and and uh, and they were able to get up there and you know snag him. So um, tribute to all of them, but that, that driving force was Brett on that thing. I mean, he was he was on top of it. 
Did you have any fear at the time? Did you know that New Orleans loved them? Oh yeah, no. I, we we had all the intel. You did. Oh no, no. We knew we, which was kind of fun to watch, um, and watch how we maneuvered around that. I mean, and that was Brett. That part was Brett. Just uh, how he, you know, CIA'd the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. He had a. He he was wired in on who wanted him and didn't want him and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess as a coach and as a decision, the ultimate decision maker, you know that there are some times when this is a big moment for your franchise. Did you realize at that time that this this is either going to blow up or it's going to set this franchise up for long after I'm gone? You know. Sure. Well, they they hadn't had a they hadn't drafted a. Uh, first round quarterback forever yeah and I mean Lynn Dawson who is arguably the most famous quarterback to play here the, yeah. you know that kind of came here as the guy but yet really came from another team but he he was uh, um, he was it I mean they had Joe Montana late yeah right? so they've had a right. few of those type of things go on but yeah but this was this was the guy. I mean, and I, I think of I, I thought about this when we were getting them, when we were talking to all the quarterbacks. Will which one of these guys will be able to handle that part? Yeah, that that um, intense pressure of, um, you, you know, of you are the franchise. Right. You know, we've never had this here, and. Uh, where you, where we've got the man that we chose and we've raised and da 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 as part of the city, and I, I thought there was nobody better than that, that whole situation than, than Pat, because he can handle all that. I mean, that's so. In that I, at that part at that time, you obviously must have talked to Trubisky, Deshaun Watson. I don't even remember. No, we Watson. talked to yeah, we talked to all of them. Now, yeah. listen, there were some good ones in there, so I'm not yeah. going to slight that. I mean, right. We liked the we liked some good. We obviously liked this kid the best, and and uh, out of the bunch. But I I have a ton of respect for those other guys. But just for the whole thing, I mean, the kid grew up in a locker room, a pro sport locker room. Yeah. And you got that feeling, like you know what, this isn't too big for me. I can handle it. Um, I've seen this type of thing before, and I'm ready to roll. Like right now. Yeah. And that that's maybe in a nutshell what he presented to you it's amazing he he was born i don't want to say born to do this but by the time he was five or six or seven years old he saw this every day saw it every day he said you know he he took bat a rod gave him batting tips yeah you know i mean, yeah, I mean so you're right he's used to it yeah yeah no I, it's uh was there a moment during the whole process like maybe when he took his visit here, or when you some, was there anything in that process that you said this we got to get this guy? Do you recall or not? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, I listen. I had watched so much tape on him for so long before he even got here, um, because of Veach, and Veach said this with me on Lashawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, Cox. I mean, it was just all the these great ones. He just when we were at Philly, you just hammer me, just water dropped me on this. Till, <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, we'll take him." You know, one of the, well, I got, please shut yeah, up. Yeah, if yeah. you if we take him, will you shut up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but that that uh, and they've all been 
all-stars. So it's, uh, you know, when he gets on a guy like that, I listen. And he was on that right from the get-go. And um, so by the time I got him up here for the for the interview, I mean, he would have really had to fail. But he shined through that. I mean, he I had great expectations, and he went above that. Um, how much right now do you think about what the outside world thinks, which is... Reed's a hell of a coach, but he's never won a championship, so he can't be really one of the great ones. How much do you hear that? Does that and does that narrative bother you? No, listen, I, I try in every game, for that two hours to rip your heart out the best I can, right? I mean, yeah. I, I love doing this, and I love the competition, and that's why that's why we all do this, and so it. Um, and I, that's where my focus goes. And I, 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 you just took the drive that I take every day, and there's nothing to the outside world right there. It's a, uh, it's um, calm. It's dark, and then I go in this building and I study, and then when I leave, it's dark, and it's calm, and I go home and sleep and rest, and then come back and do it again. That to me is what's real. That's what I enjoy. I don't worry about the other stuff. I don't. I don't go there. Everybody's going to have their opinion on uh, whether you can coach or can't coach or this or that. Um, you know, I've been doing it a long time uh, and loved every minute. I love the relationships, maybe most of all. I love the, putting the strategy together with my young coaches. Man, I get in there and grind with them, and I got some great minds. That, that loves to stu- that love to study and be creative. I love getting them in my office. I got a big whiteboard in there. Love getting them on the board. And that's where I mean, I, that part to me is special. And then game, there's nothing like game day. To be, it's a giant chess match. I love that part. So everything else, eh, you know, it is what it is. So you know, but that that part I I enjoy. So. You really want to win a championship, but you're not going to allow it to ruin your life if you don't. Well, no. I mean, listen, I, uh, I'm a Mormon, you know, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so I, I understand that, that it's bigger bigger than that. And uh, uh, that doesn't mean I'm not competitive, and we all want to win the Super Bowl. We all do. I mean, it's uh, every every coach you talk to wants to get there and win it, and that's what you strive for every year. And uh, and so to say that I don't want to win, no, I want to win it. I want to win it because I want to win every game. And um, if you're the opponent, we're going to come after you, and we're going to come after you hard to win the game. It's America, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, this isn't, we're not, we're not sugarcoating this. So this is America. So you, you step to the ping pong table. I'm going to try to beat you up at the ping pong table. You know, it's uh, whatever goes, goes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know the guys I'm around every day know that and, and, you know, feel that. So we, and they're, they're that way. These players do this because they love the game, you know, and, I'm lucky to be around guys that really feel that way. Dateline Kansas City.
Football coaches. Strange breed. I asked to ride to work one morning in the Super Bowl off week with Kansas City coach Andy Reid. Sure, he said. Pick you up at your hotel at 3.15. A.M. Reed in khaki shorts. Lord, six degrees outside. Plush moccasins, a puffy black parka, and black ski cap. Pulled up in his blue pickup at 3.07. Six degrees out here. When Reed, 61, wakes up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, that's usually around 3. And so he just stays up and gets in his truck and goes to work. No phone, no one knocking at the door, he said. You get two, three hours of quality work done before the real world begins. He doesn't drive fast. He doesn't run yellow lights. He likes to think. On the 14-minute drive to his parking spot in the pitch black of the Chiefs' training facility next to Arrowhead Stadium, 11 other vehicles were on the road. Total. In my 51 minutes with him, no question bugged him. Not one about the 2012 death of his son Garrett. Not one about getting fired in Philadelphia. Not one about the pain of telling Alex Smith he was about to draft his successor. Not one about never winning the big one, despite being the sixth winningest coach in NFL history. Head coaching seasons for Reed, 21. Championships, zero. Titles won by the five winningest coaches ever, 26. So let's start there. By the time I ask where it is parking space, it's about 340. The game plan, which he'd left in mid-plan three and a half hours earlier, sat on his desk waiting. How much do you think about what the outside world thinks, I asked him. Which is, Reed's a hell of a coach, but he's never won a championship. He can't really be one of the great ones. So how much do you hear that, and does the narrative bother you? No, listen, Reed said, like he's answering a question about the weather. Routine. I try in every game for that two hours to rip your heart out the best I can. I love doing this. I love the competition. That's why we all do this. You just took the drive that I take every day, and there's nothing to the outside world right there. It's calm. It's dark. And then I go in this building and I study. Then when I leave, it's dark. It's calm. And I go home and sleep and rest and then come back and do it again. That, to me, is what's real. That's what I enjoy. I don't worry about the other stuff. I don't go there. Everybody's going to have their opinion on whether you can coach or can't coach, or this or that. I've been doing this a long time. I loved every minute. I love the relationships maybe most of all. I love putting the strategy together with my young coaches. I get in there and grind with them. I got some great minds that love to study and be creative. Everything else? Eh, it is what it is. Reed will be interesting but likely cautious this week when the world invades his space and 3,000 Super Bowl accredited media people will ask him everything. When I went looking for something that said Reed, but not many people know, I found it deep in his past, around 1970 or 71. He was 10 or 12 years old. He didn't recall exactly living in the shadow of the movie and TV studios in L.A., where his dad worked as an artist. 
the story involves sweet and sour meatballs and John Wayne. Reed's dad shopped at a meat store in Hollywood, and the shop catered the green rooms of lots of studio shows. His dad was big on the two Reed boys having jobs, and the shopkeepers needed a hand. So, so many days, young Andy would be an extra set of hands. He proved responsible early, so the caterers gave him a job on some days. He'd be the gatekeeper for the sweet and sour meatballs. Three max per person. Young Andy was a big sports fan, so if an athlete was in a green room before a show, he remembers doing the Merv Griffin show with Wilt Chamberlain as a guest once. Reed would look the other way when the guy wanted more meatballs. But not Hollywood folk. Just three for them. They weren't huge meatballs, Reed told me. So like this one time, John Wayne, he wanted a couple more meatballs. If I knew he played football, I would have given him as many as he wanted. But I was told, I was instructed to give three meatballs or we were going to run out. So you're getting three meatballs. Wait. You said no to Rooster Cogburn in True Grit? Kid, do you want to live? You denied the Duke extra meatballs? Yes, he did. And he wasn't the only one. I always looked down when I did it, Reed said. I never made eye contact. Just three meatballs. So now, what's the segue to that? <laughs> now Reed was turning into the Arrowhead Kaufman Stadium complex. I fast-forwarded to the weird 2004 Super Bowl in Jacksonville and the way his only Super Bowl as head coach ended. The Eagles trailed the Patriots 24-14 with 5.40 left in the fourth quarter, and Donovan McNabb moved the team at a maddeningly glacial pace to a touchdown. Playing with zero urgency, McNabb took three minutes and 45 seconds to drive for the touchdown. I asked Reed now if he was telling McNabb to hurry it up. Yeah, I probably was. It's my responsibility to do that, Reed said. Reed on the game. I wanted Donovan to have a great game. It just didn't work out that way. He took the blame for it when he didn't deserve the blame. We were all a part of that thing. Unfortunately, the quarterback takes the blame. He had a heck of a career there. He played a heck of a year that year. A couple balls got away from him in that game, so it didn't look the best, but it wasn't because of these stories out there that, oh, he choked or threw up or any of that stuff. Then, the end of Reed's Eagle career. In August 2012 at training camp, his son Garrett, a camp assistant to the strength and conditioning coach, was found dead of a heroin overdose by the team. Then the Eagles floundered, finishing 4-12. and Reed got fired on New Year's Eve 2012. Wouldn't this have been a good time to step back, decompress, ponder life, stare at the ocean, and do whatever for a while? Not for Reed. Seven days after he was fired in Philly, and five weeks after Kansas City had a tragedy of its own with linebacker Javon Belcher murdering his girlfriend and then killing himself, the Chiefs introduced him as the successor to Romeo Cornell. Yeah, we lost Garrett, Reed said. Had a rough football year. I understood why people felt that way, but I didn't feel that way. 
My wife supported me on that, Tammy. I just had no desire to take time off at that time. I was sad for what took place. I don't wish that on anybody. But I also felt the game could help heal me. Coming here, they had issues where maybe they could heal me and I could heal them. It was kind of a joint union there. How much did Garrett's death affect you personally and as a coach, I asked. I'm sure it did, he said. I'm sure somewhere in there it has affected me. I think that, along with age. I'm sure these events affect in some way or another, make you better, make you more patient, make you keep your eyes open a little bit more, try to help get people second chances, all those things. I think those are all probably because of those type of events that happen in your life. We've all had something. I think it was probably something like that to it. Reed's other son, Britt, had drug problems of his own. He's now the Chiefs defensive line coach. I reminded Reed that in 2009, he told me Garrett and Britt advised him to give Michael Vick a second chance at football when he'd been released from prison after his dogfighting and animal cruelty uh, convictions. Reed asked both to weigh in on Vic, and Britt Reed even talked to Vic. What they said was, he's admitting he was wrong, Reed said. He's done it publicly, he's done it to them. Then he sat in his cell and thought about it. He'll never come back to jail. So there was conviction in that. He would just never come back. He was determined. And then the other part was he said he was willing to work and not in the NFL, but just have a job, wherever it was, to prove to people that he was back. He'd work like crazy to do whatever it takes to get back in. With the approval of owner Jeffrey Lurie and against the loud disapproval of the animal rights community and some picketing, the Eagles signed Vic who did as much as he could to make good on his second NFL chance. There always was a kind heart in there underneath all the pressure of being the second coming of Elvis, Reed said. Vic led the Eagles to the 2010 NFC East title and in his sixth start back played arguably the greatest game of his life on Monday Night Football. Remember, he threw for four touchdowns, ran for two more, and Philly creamed Washington 59-28. to Would another coach ever have signed the Toxic Vic? My guess is no. Being an Eagle for five years and being a front-facing advocate for animal rights after doing so much wrong contributed mightily to Vic moving back into the football and public mainstream in the decades since leaving prison. Imagine the NFL appointing Vic one of two Pro Bowl captains 10 years after walking out of prison. And imagine NFL partner Fox signing Vic to do some NFL TV work. Unimaginable 10 years ago. Reed's proud of what Vic has done with his second chance. And in his second chance in Kansas City, Reed needed his own Elvis. So you heard Reed's description earlier in this podcast from his own voice um, his description of how they ended up uh, with Patrick Mahomes so I'm not going to read that part of the column um, but I thought it was really really interesting 
as I report in here, that Alex Smith was one of the 538 people who texted Andy Reid in the hours after the AFC championship victory over Tennessee. As Reid told me, he goes, phenomenal win. The kid was unbelievable. Alex is his biggest fan. That's what's weird about this. And Patrick is Alex's biggest fan, Andy Reid said. Time to go to work. The security guy, the only other person on the property at 3.55 in the morning, kept peering out of the chief's lobby, wondering what Reed could be doing in his truck. I told Reed that Niners coach Kyle Shanahan is a lot like a young Andy Reed, imaginative and inventive, hard to game plan for. I think he grew up with a phenomenal football coach father who I have a ton of respect for, Reed said, speaking of two-time Super Bowl winning coach, Mike Shanahan. He loves coaching. He loves the strategy part of it. I'd love to get him on the board, see what his stuff is. I love that. That's the best part of it. He has a philosophy. It's direct. It's easy to understand for his players. I asked, think you're going to win the game? I'm going to tell you, Reed said. I go into every game thinking we're going to win and we're going to rip your heart out. That's every game, right or wrong. You can talk to the sports psychiatrist or psychologist, and they'll probably tell you that's the wrong way to go. But that's the way I go. I try to do it humbly because that's how I roll. But, yeah, that's why we work this hard. We don't work this hard to lose. That was my ride to work with Andy Reid. Got a few things about the Niners in here. Um, uh, I talk about the Garoppolo factor like I do not believe that uh, he's going to be left on the side of the road and 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 going to have another game with eight uh, attempts. I think he goes back to his normal way in this game. I talk about San Francisco's unsung hero, Bobby Turner, their running backs coach. I talk about how John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan got together in this job. And I talk about the challenge of the 49er pass rush getting to Patrick Mahomes, who, since he stepped foot on an NFL field, opening day 2018, I mean, that wasn't his first game, but since opening day 2018, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football by far uh, at, uh, at quarterback efficiency when he is pressured. So for a young kid who's still only 24 years old, uh, that's a pretty incredible number. I'll tell you one thing I really, really don't like. I really don't like shopping for home insurance. I never know. I just recently bought an apartment in New York. And quite honestly, I just said, do I have to do this? I'll tell you what, I would pay my wife thousands just to handle insurance, particularly homeowner's insurance. I just simply don't know how to do it. So now we've got a little bit of a fix. Welcome to the year 2020 AD. Finally, we get to live in the futuristic utopia we've all been waiting for. Sort of. Now, our houses do not have robotic butlers yet. 
They're not covered by those giant glass domes, other than in some commercials. And they're not on Mars. But we do have policy genius. This is the most technologically advanced means of shopping for home insurance. And thank God, policy genius, where were you? You know, the last few times I've had to buy homeowner's insurance. Come on. You should have stuck your hand up and said, Peter, come please buy policy genius. Anyway, since we'll always get the future wrong, it's important to get your home insurance right. First, head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius will compare your policy against options from top insurers to make sure you're getting the right home insurance coverage at the best possible price. They've saved their customers an average of $690 per year doing just that. Now, if Policy Genius finds you a better rate than what you're currently paying, they'll do all the work to get you switched. So you own a car too? Policy Genius will compare your home and auto policies across different insurers and even mix and match to find you the best possible savings. So, if the science fiction homes of 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get home insurance at policygenius.com. In minutes, you can get the ball rolling on a policy for a new home, or reshop your current policy. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get home insurance right. Um, the rest of my column get into some quotes and tweets about the great Kobe Bryant. Um, and uh, in my profile this week, uh, I profiled Dean Pease, the retired Tennessee defensive coordinator. What a long, strange trip he's had. And now, the Adu haiku. Kobe, I love how he was making his second life starry also. That's it for the podcast this week. Um, hope you enjoy it. And I really hope that you tune back in because we've got lots going on in the NBC podcast platform here at the Super Bowl. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.